0: Hi, folks out there who've been listening in the dark, uh, welcome to our service. Glad you're here. So um, so just be thinking about that uh, for next weekend. Be thinking about how you can give testimony about God's faithfulness. And I will tell you, folks, it is one of the most encouraging services we do all year because we hear about how God has, has been at work in each one of us. So, um, yeah. So I don't know what's more distracting right now. A presidential election that hasn't come to its full conclusion or the fact that we're seeing an uptick in COVID cases and we've kind of got to go back to some of the restrictions we had beforehand. It's, it's really frustrating, right? I mean, at least with the presidential election thing, that seems that end seems in sight. But the COVID thing, it's gone on much longer than we have wanted it to or thought it would go on. And it's affected all of us and how we live. And one of the reasons why I, this summer, chose to go through Ezra and Nehemiah is because with all the challenges, with all the sense of loss, maybe we feel like our world is crumbling around us, um, and maybe we're just trying to regain some sense of normalcy. I think we identify with the people of, of Jerusalem. Like we're rebuilding. Rebuilding a temple, now rebuilding a wall. Only our rebuilding is not necessarily uh, a structure. It's how we do life. It's our relationships. It's how we do church. And the parallels are striking. But it's true then as it was true now. What took place did not surprise God. He's not alarmed by it. In fact, it came through His, His hand, His kind hand. And the truth is, His promises are not that He's going to shield us from all the challenges or opposition that comes our way, but rather that He would be with us in those things. And just like rebuilding the wall, we need to be reminded of the Lord and we need to keep our eyes fixed and focused on him. So that's what we're going to be looking at today in Nehemiah chapter three and four. But before we get going, let me uh, open this up with a word of prayer and then we'll dive in. So Lord, again, you are our mighty fortress. As your word says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are saved. And your kingdom is forever. And that is An everlasting life. So your love, your love, your steadfast love in Christ, it never leaves us, it never abandons us, and it's with us both now and through eternity. Help us to see that and help us to get our eyes fixed on you today, Lord. We're grateful for who you are as our God, Lord Jesus as our Savior, and we're grateful for your word. So open our eyes and our hearts that we might see what you have for us today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. So, last week we were in chapter 2 and we see Nehemiah taking steps of action. After much prayer and after God's hand being on him, an opportunity comes for him to address the king, the most powerful man in the world at the time. And he's able to bring to him his requests, and he gets to obtain all the things he needs. Both legal permission, material requ- requisition, and even a small military force to protect him to go to Jerusalem and re- rebuild the wall. And he arrives. He doesn't tell anyone what's, what he's doing there, but he goes out at midnight to kind of do a recon mission to see what the what the project's going to look like. And then in the morning, he calls the people to action. Because even though he's called by God, he cannot do it alone. And he says to them, Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began the good work. And again, it's good work because it's God's work. It's what he has called them to do. And so Nehemiah chapter 3 is where the good work starts. They start rebuilding the wall. And folks, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to read through the whole chapter. We're going to take a 30,000 foot view. There are 32 verses, but I want you to see these things. A sample of diversity of God's people who set out to rebuild the wall and the gates of Jerusalem. So, verse 1, we see that the high priest is involved in rebuilding the wall. Elisha, Elisha, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Henanel. Now, it makes sense that the high priest and the priest would be involved in this. This gate is set near where the temple is. This is where all the sheep come in, both for the for you know the marketplace, but also for sacrifice. But here's the point. This man is the highest-ranking religious official in Jerusalem. He is holy to the Lord. His, his, his little gold plate that he wears on his head says that. He's the only one who can go into the Holy of Holies to uh, offer sacrifices on once a year during Yom Kippur. And then he says, I am going to be involved in rebuilding the wall. He's a servant leader. He doesn't say, this is beneath me. No, I'm involved. I'm going to insert myself. I'm willing to get my hands dirty. So we see, first of all, the high priests get involved. Second of all, in verse 2, we see people of other cities. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section. And this is the way the rest of this whole chapter uh, goes, you know, it continues. One person, one group builds here. The adjoining section, another group builds here. But these are the men of Jericho, which is about 15 and a half miles away. These men don't live in Jerusalem. They don't live here. This is not their city. But it's the city capital. It's also the central place of worship. And they're saying, we take ownership in this because this is where God's temple dwells. And we are going to be about building up this wall. And then we meet in verse uh, 5 some leaders that actually weren't willing to build. Verse 5 says, the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. But listen to this. But their nobles would not put their shoulders to work under their supervisors. Now it's not clear what the issue is. We don't know whether it was pride. We didn't know whether they thought it was beneath them. We don't know whether they had a, a beef with the particular supervisor. I'm not working for that guy. We really don't know what it was. But they were not willing to contribute and so they're recorded as people that would not be led. How about you? How about me? Are we willing to be led by others even when they're not doing it exactly how we would do it? How we would go about it? Or will we just say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to be involved in that? There were a couple of families who teamed together. Verse 6. The Jeshina gate, which is, translates the old gate, was repaired by Jehoiada, um, son of Pesaiah, and Meshulam, the son of Besodiah. They laid its beams and put its doors and their bolts and, and bars in place. Again, these are two families coming together, and saying, hey, let's, let's put our, our families together and as a community build up this wall. And then there was a goldsmith and a perfumer. Hardly people you think of as blue-collar, right? But in verse 8 it says, Uziel, son of Herhiah, and one of, the, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Now per their professions, we're not thinking of these guys as you know construction guys. These are the fine artist types. We think, really, they're, they're gonna, you know, build a section. But it says, they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. They were willing, no matter what their background was. And then, verse 12, a man and his daughters. Shalom. Son of Hello she- Hel- Hesh-, Hesh, excuse me, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with help of his daughters. Now I believe that scripture teaches that men are called to lead in their families and in the church, but there are many women who are very quite capable, and we need to set them free to use their strengths and use their gifts. Here are some women who could operate power tools, who could get these things up and, and, and loaded a man and his daughters. And then there were some who were willing to do the dirty work. Maybe the dirty work that some were not willing to do. Verse 12. Shalom. Excuse me. Verse 14. The dung gate was repaired by, by Melchijah, the son of Rechab, the ruler of the district of Beth-Herakim. He built it and put its doors with their bolts and their bars in place. Folks, this is the gate throughout which the rubbish and the sewage and all that goes out. Not a very glorious or glamorous thing to do, but it it needed to happen. This is, this is the sewage system. This is the, the the waste system through which the city gets cleaned out. And, um, Melchizedek says, I'm willing, I'm willing to do that. He did it with a willing heart. You know, I think of Justin Long here. Has a great servant heart. He cleans our toilets. And folks, let me tell you, he does that with a whole heart unto God. It's holy holy work. Because he does it with a heart unto God, even though it's not very glamorous or glorious. And in verse 20, we meet some go-getters. Next to him, Baruch Son of Zabdi zealously repaired another section, from the angle to the entrance of the house of Elishib and the priests and, and the high priests. You know, some people are just natural overachievers. It's like you're putting down ten bricks and they're putting down fifty. I mean, they just keep going. And whether you know whether it's just natural. Ability in, in some area or they've just are got an energizer bunny kind of thing going on inside of them They're just keep, They just keep going and keep going and you just wind them up and let them go And that's a beautiful thing in the body of Christ I think of my wife when she paints, right? I'll be like painting one area Like right here and she will have like painted half a wall by then Right? It's because she has the skill, she has the ability, and the drive. And then last in our simple size, we have merchants. Look at verse 31. Next to him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite the inspection gate, as far as the room above the corner. And between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, remember we started out of the sheep gate, with the high priest, the goldsmiths and the merchants made repairs. Business owners, merchants, another goldsmith we meet. Probably because at a certain section of the market it was probably against the wall. But things have come full circle from the sheep gate all the way around to the, to the sheep gate. So if you read through the whole chapter, there are 40 different groups that are listed, and 44 different projects within that. Some did more than just one. But here's the point. The challenge required diversity and unity and focus on the Lord. Diversity, unity, and focus on the Lord. Diversity. First of all, just a division of labor, Okay, there's a whole wall that needs to be taken care of. So you need to go here, 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 right? We've got lots of places that that people need to be working on at the same time. Division of projects, but also diversity of backgrounds, of skills, from all different walks of life. Again, from the high priests, to goldsmiths, to people from other towns. But there is a unity also they're all working on the same goal to rebuild the wall and it's all interconnected and the, they're all willing to help regardless of their background there's no one that says I- i'm sorry you know construction's not my gift no 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 matter what skills they had or whatever at least they could say here here's a brick i'll help do i'll help do that one little thing and the focus, again, is on the Lord. The focus is on the Lord because the people started this project, again, because they believed that the gracious hand of their God was upon them, calling them to do this task. Now, how does it relate to us here at Berean Community Church? Yeah, in Christ, we are interconnected. Interconnected through Him. We're a body with different abilities, different gifts. And if you withhold from serving the body, we feel it. But again, we're going through an unprecedented time in history. Folks, there was no class at seminary how to lead a church through a pandemic, how to walk through a season like this. How does that re- relate to rebuilding? Because when siding is up, most of the painting is done for the season. What we're rebuilding is not the physical structure, folks. What we're rebuilding is the body. You and I, because this is the church, not this, not this building. Many are feeling discouraged, isolated, fearful, maybe even perhaps wondering where God is in all of this. So hand me a brick. Hand me a brick. Do something to build someone else up. Give them a phone call. Text them. Hey, I'm thinking about you, praying for you. Send them an email. Hey, let me just tell you about the scripture I was reading this morning and it reminded me of the situation that we're going through. Remind them about how God has been faithful in the past. Hey, remember when we went through this season And God met us then. He's going to meet us now. Next week, when you have a chance to give testimony to God's faithfulness, take that opportunity to talk about how God has met you, has met me, has met us. You may say, you know, it's not my gift. (laughs) All I can say is do something. Do something even as simple to show someone else that you care. It'll go a long way. It's a simple way to keep building up and rebuilding the body of Christ. Maybe to say to someone like, look, 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 I love you, and Christ loves you, and we're in this together, and He's got us. Because we need to be reminded of that, don't we? We need to be reminded of that. We know it up here We need to let it get down to here. And sometimes we need someone else in the body of Christ to remind us. But let me say this. When the work of God starts to happen and things get built, you know what happens then? Opposition comes. And we saw it last week at the end of chapter 2. And we're going to see it more here in chapter 4. So that's where we're going to pick things up here now. Verse 1 when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall he became angry and was greatly incensed and he ridiculed the Jews in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria he said what are those feeble Jews doing will they restore the wall will they offer sacrifices will they finish in a day can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble Burned as they are. And then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing on it, would break down their wall of stones. Again, a very similar tactic to what we saw last week. Ridicule, right? There's no way. And as I read this, it's, it's, it's almost Juvenile. I mean, their their comments are almost kind of middle school-esque, if you will. No offense, middle schoolers. But I'm just saying, it's, it's like, la, 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 la. you know, I, I, I almost, here's what comes to mind to me. Any of you folks remember the old Hans and Franz skit from Saturday Night Live? These two Arnold Schwarzenegger wannabes who who ridicule everybody? Just Just bear with me for a moment, okay? What are those feeble just doing? Can you believe it? (laughs) They're trying to rebuild the wall. (laughs) Hear me now and believe me later. They're trying to give CPR to these dead stones. Let me tell you, they'll be dead on arrival. D-O-A. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, they're trying to build a mighty fortress. If a fox jumped on the wall... Those stones would fall down. <laughs> They'd have a four to lunch. Can you believe that? I mean, can't you just hear that ridicule? It's almost junior high-ass. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'll be back next week. But here's my point. It's it's childish, and yet it's really irritating. When you've been working hard, and you've been giving your all, and you got some fool crying out to you. In, in fact, it reminds me of what... Um, Proverbs chapter 27 verse 3 says, A stone is heavy and sand a burden, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. So, uh, I you, you got to be kidding me. This is childish. But have you ever been there? It's like you're working hard and, and you've got somebody ridiculing you, some foolishness. And it's a ploy to get you distracted. And Nehemiah knows this. He says, no, we need to get our focus back on the Lord. Okay? And so he says in verse 4, Hear us, our God, we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of of the builders. It's like, God, you see, you hear, Lord, turn those insults back around and throw them on their head. Because they're insulting the builders, the people who are doing your work. You know what's interesting? Here's the Lord's response. It's not thunder, it's not lightning, it's not plague. It's rather the best payback. Success. Look at verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half of its height. For the people worked with all their hearts. They were being ridiculed, and what happened? The wall is halfway built. It's happening. And it just got real for the enemies of the people of God. But instead of backing off, they enter into escalation. And look at verse 7. But when Sambalot, Tobiah... The Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod, that's, by the way, that's the remnant of the Philistines. They heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. They were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Challenges call for adjustments but they also call for us to continue to focus on the Lord. And we're going to see this throughout the remainder of this chapter. Challenges call for adjustments, but they call also to continue to focus on the Lord. And so, how do they respond? Verse 9. But we prayed to our God. Again, God, you see this, you know this, protect us. And then it continues on and says and pragmatic action, and we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. It's not a sign of weakness, folks, or weakness of faith if you lock your doors. We live in a fallen world. But unfortunately, one stressor oftentimes leads to another, especially when you've been exerting yourself, you've been spending yourself, and soon things pile up in our hearts and minds. Look at verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. There is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it, or before they see us, we'll be right there among them and kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, Wherever you turn, they will attack us. So do you see it? First of all, there's just fatigue. You've been working hard, working hard, and at the end of the day, all you see is the pile of rubble and the stuff that hasn't gotten done. And you lose sight of the progress, and you lose sight of the process, and you're willing to give up. Let me ask you, especially those who have been walking life for a little while, how many of us have given up on things because we quit too early and we just couldn't press through. I think there's some things in life I wish I would pressed through, I would held on to, rather than giving up. But next comes physical threats. And these are real, real threats. I mean, they're looking to do real harm to the people of God if they can. It's intimidation. But what good is it, my friends... If they let the enemy have their way. They're already coming in and plundering them and attacking them anyway. Why would I open the door? Why would I stop the work? Why would I stop putting an impediment in their way to come and attack us? And then the third factor it was parroting of what the enemy was saying, right? He had Jews that lived nearby, these ungodly people, and they were reiterating this, this threat. Before we know it, they'll be among us. And it starts spreading like gangrene, fear amongst God's people. And Nehemiah knows he needs to make some adjustments, and he does. But he also need, he knows he needs to get the people's focus back on the Lord. So verse 13, he says, Therefore I stationed some people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows, okay? Adjustments, those low points, those exposed points, we're going to put some physical guards there that they can see that there are spears and swords waiting for them under those places. But after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who was great and awesome. And fight! Fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Remember the Lord, who's great and awesome, who called us to do this, and He's with us. Don't forget that. Yeah, it's tough. But He's with us, and be willing to fight. Be willing to fight for your families, literally your brothers for your sons and daughters, for your wives, for your homes, everything that the God has given you. Be willing to fight. I think this is true of many of us, especially fathers, right? Someone touches our wife, our kids, our family, all bets are off. All caution to the wind, look out, whoever's doing that. I remember in 1990. Six. I was on the metro train in Atlanta with my mom during the Olympics. And this homeless man came up to me, asked me for money. And I just tried to ignore him. And then my mom tries to step between me and this guy. And I'm like, Mom, don't do that. Don't do that because if he touches you, we're going. We're going to the ground. And there's no holding me back. I think we all, I think oftentimes we feel like that. Like if someone touches my family, there's nothing holding me back. But on a spiritual level, sometimes we demur. We need to be willing to fight. The enemy's coming, folks, whether you like it or not. And the scripture says, resist the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. James chapter 4 verse 7. And Ephesians chapter 6 says, look, and all after you've done, chapter 6 verse 13, after all you've done to take your stand, then stand. And by the way, that's the, that's the chapter where he talks about putting on God's armor. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of, 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 of salvation, the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit. Be ready to fight, because he's coming. He's coming. Be ready to take your stand. You know, in this COVID season as a church, we have tried to make our adjustments. We've had to, right? Masking and services, social distancing. We've got a video feed now, things we didn't have before. We've tried to make our adjustments. There's a certain point where it's going, look, it's not about the adjustments. It's about the Lord being faithful and looking to Him, our focus on Him. And we can't allow COVID to stop us from proclaiming the Word of God, from proclaiming the Gospel, from reaching out to people with the Gospel, to encourage one another. We can't cut ourselves off from each other. And I know that's difficult at times. But we need to be ready to fight. To encourage one another. To fight for one another. And not live in fear. Because we are God's people. And He is with us. And He is for us. And as I bring up this next verse, I don't want to be cavalier about things. I don't want to be careless with COVID precaution stuff. Nor do I want to you know, try and pretend like I've got some spiritual bravado here. But I don't want to be ruled by fear. I don't want to be ruled by a cautiousness that keeps me from doing what God is calling me or us to do. And I realize oftentimes what the enemy is saying is you might lose your life. But Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 says this, and they triumphed, talking about the the devil or the dragon who's attacking the people of God, they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. I'm not looking to be foolish. I'm not looking to be, again, braggadocious or anything of that nature. But the truth of the matter is, the Lord has my life in His hands. And when He says, it's time for me to come home, it's time for me to come home. And for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm living for something much greater than this world, for living for the American dream or what have you. His courage and faith comes when we know that we are the Lord's and that He has got us. He has us in His hands. And so, Back to our story here in, in Nehemiah, verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all, we all returned to the wall, each to their own work. There was resistance, there were adjustments, there was focusing in on the Lord, and the enemy backed off. For the moment. For the moment. But he's going to come back. And Nehemiah realizes that. And so he enacts what I call proactive steps. Verse 16, from that day on, half the men did the work and the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armors. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall, who who carried material, excuse me, those who carried materials, did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. The work is going to continue. But it's going to be slowed up a little bit, right? It's going to be slowed up because on one hand I'm carrying a tool, on the other hand I've got my weapon. But I'm armed. But the the purpose is to keep moving forward. Don't let this stop. Keep moving forward. But then Nehemiah has another realization. He's looking at the whole city. Remember, we're building a whole city wall, and they're spread out. They're all distanced from one another, and the enemy may try and divide and conquer. And so he puts in plan a plan of action to alert the people if the attack comes. Verse 19. Then I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out. We are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us. Our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. So where you hear the horn, we're all going to gather and we're going to fight for each other, and we're going to trust that our God is going to fight for us. Adjustments, but focus on the Lord. He will fight for us. But then they need to go into what I call an adjustment of a new normal. And I think we're all feeling that right now, right? A constant state of readiness, verse 21. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve as guards by night and workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor any, nor my men nor any guards with me took off their clothes and each had his weapon, even when they went for water. So constant readiness. Ready to go right now. I'm not going to get undressed to the point where I can't respond. There's one thing I want to point out to this. And kids, those of you who are younger, I want you to pay attention here. In verse 22, he talks about, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night. That word helper does not mean slave. It means apprentice. It means the person you're teaching to do life. The person that you're teaching to do life. Oftentimes that was a father teaching a son. A skill. How to do life. Here's my point. Young people, you have a part to play in this. To encourage your other young people. And to learn from your parents and how they're responding to this. Again, there was no class about how to lead a church through a pandemic. But I was taught a lot in, in seminary to keep your eyes fixed on the Lord. And this is what we need to do through this extraordinary time. Pay attention, kids. Pay attention to what God wants to do in the church right now. Because this, unless Jesus, Jesus may tarry and you may have to tell the next generation about how God was faithful to meet the church during this pandemic. And here's the point, Folks. We don't have physical enemies coming to attack us, but we certainly have a spiritual enemy. He's coming after us. Satan doesn't care whether you're ready or not. The question you need to answer is, are you ready? Are you in a state of readiness for when he comes? Let me tell you, folks, you know when I get attacked, it's usually after something really good just happened. That's when I get attacked oftentimes. Something goes on in my family or in the church or in in just my pastoral load and all of a sudden I feel the attack again. But God is faithful. Are you ready? And I guess the question I want to ask on a practical level, what are the adjustments that you and I need to make during this season to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord? You know, I know just this last week, Rochester Public Schools and Byron Public Schools just announced that they're going to go back to, to distance learning, right? And some of you parents may be going, oh no, what do I do now? That time I had with the Lord in the morning, it's gone. Maybe it means you've got to get up earlier. You've got to make that adjustment. And I'm not trying to be cavalier. I'm just trying to say, we're all making adjustments in this season. You feel disconnected. A lot of people feel disconnected. Be the person that doesn't say, here I am. Be the person that says, there you are. Reach out to them because they need someone to come alongside. And you actually might find yourself being edified by that mutual connection, by interacting with each other, saying, this is what I'm struggling with, but this is where I see God being faithful. Fight for your faith. Fight for their faith. It might even be your spouse. What a tragic thing to be in the house with your spouse and that person is, is, feels like they're, they're disconnected. Come alongside of your spouse. And maybe you don't know. Maybe you go, I don't know what I need. I don't, I don't know. And, and maybe it's just a time to say, Lord, what, what is it? What is it that I need to continue to connect with you? And folks, I'll tell you one verse I've been taking very seriously in this season because I'm just trusting him day in and day out. The scripture says in in James chapter one, five says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without finding fault. That is a promise that God will be generous with his wisdom. And maybe he's like, God, I don't know what I need, but I need you to show me. And then trust that he will, because he will. I can give testimony to so many times where God, I didn't know what we needed to do. And then God, and I looked to him and he showed up. And he met me, he met our church. And maybe some of you are just kind of going, Pastor, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I feel the, the tension of this time, but I don't know exactly what you mean about this fight or keeping your eyes fixed on the Lord. Let me just say this to you. There's a God who's fighting for you. And he did so, first of all, by sending his son to bridge a gap between us, sinful men and women, and a holy God. We were separated from him. But there's an an enemy who wants to keep us separated. But Jesus came to rescue us, to seek and save that which was lost, to live a life of perfect obedience that we couldn't live, to bridge a gap by giving up His life as a perfect sacrifice, as the Son of God, to bridge the gap between us and the Holy God, and then to conquer death by rising from the dead. And those of us who will put our faith in Him He gives us a new life, a new identity, a new nature, a new destiny. And by the way, he puts you in a new family who can come alongside of you and encourage you and uphold you. He wants the focus of your life, your faith to be in him. Without him, I, I gotta just say you're you're a sitting duck. The Scripture says in the the first epistle of John, it says this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and He's given it to us in His Son. And he or she who has life, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Maybe today, your first step is just to put your faith in Him and what He's done in coming for you to give you life. We're going through extraordinary times, people. And yeah, we've got to come together to build each other up. Yeah, we've got to make adjustments. But ultimately, we need to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. That's where we need to keep our hearts and our minds in this season. Let me pray for us and then Aaron, will you and the worship team come and close us? So Lord, we're grateful for this good word. And Lord, I want to pray for that one who needs to put their faith in you right now. And if that's you, my friend, I just pray that you pray along with me right now. My words aren't magic, but they're the, the words of a sincere heart. Lord Jesus, I realize that I can't do anything to bridge the gap between me and a holy God. But that you came for me, that you died for me, that you rose from the dead for me. So come into my heart right now. And I don't even know what that means. But come in and take residence. And take charge and give me the life that I don't have in myself. As I put my faith in you, because this world is not going to last forever, but your kingdom will. So come into my heart, make me your child, help me to follow you and do what I cannot do myself. And for the rest of us, Lord who are already your children, give us grace. Again, to keep building up the body. Looking to you for wisdom, for the adjustments that we need to make, but ultimately keeping our eyes fixed on you. Again, we're grateful that you are our mighty fortress. And Lord Jesus, it's in your name I pray these things. Amen.